Welcome to one of those times in a life, sharing songs and stories around the virtual campfire. At this campfire, heart of the heartland. He stands to the side as the young auctioneer sells off the pickup and then the John Deere. His eyes trace the lines of the tall golden ears. The world puts a price tag on forty odd That's a Brothers Four recording of Heart of the Heartland, a song I wrote with Leslie Eliel, a woman I met in the spring of 1987. That song has been part of the Brothers Four concert repertoire for over 25 years now. It remains a creative bright spot in what I realized was a pretty dark time for me. I'd turned 40 in March of 87, and as I look back at that milestone birthday, it appears to be the midpoint of what might simply be described as a midlife crisis. While I was feeling lucky to be back with the Brothers Four, I I was also worrying that I hadn't grown very much or gone very far in the previous 15 years. At the same time, Nashville didn't seem to appreciate or sometimes even notice the songs I was writing for them. It had been years since I'd performed as a solo artist. My career with McCoy lacked direction. I no longer had mentors for the classic guitar or novel writing or watercolor painting, so I struggled with what to do next in those areas. And while I couldn't or wouldn't admit it, it was hard to watch people I knew who were my contemporaries having the kind of success that that I was hoping for. A guy I knew in high school. Terry Davis had published a novel about wrestling called Vision Quest that had been made into a successful movie starring Matthew Modine and featuring music by a young Madonna. My good friend from college, Gary Drager, had become a world-class painter and children's book writer using the name Cooper Edens. Jamie O'Hara, who I'd met and stayed with in one of my first trips to Nashville, was having success as a recording artist and songwriter, including winning a Grammy Award for the song he wrote called Grandpa Tell Me About the Good Old Days, recorded by the Judds. And then there was some nagging macho pride, or perhaps more precisely shame, that at 40, instead of being at the peak of my earning powers, I was still having to make choices between heating and eating. I could only dream about that red sports car that some people buy to drive through a midlife crisis. But even then in my dreams, I, I, I didn't have a garage to store it in. When it came to relationships in my personal life, I struggled with a riddle I still hadn't found a way to articulate, which of course made it hard to solve. And words that I'd found for it years later went like this. How can someone love me unless they know me well? And yet, if somebody knows me well, how can they love me? A conundrum that was too often keeping me a safe but unsatisfying distance from people I cared about. (laughs) Now, 
as I listen to myself describe that time, I, I realize I'm dishing up enough cake and I'm lighting enough candles for a full-fledged pity party. And a part of me is even embarrassed to talk about that time now. And yet as I relive those times around this campfire, it feels good to just get it out. Too often it's harder to cut ourselves that slack that we often cut other people. On this Wednesday morning in his old Sunday time, he smiles, greets the neighbors, and tries not to cry. Wonders how you keep living when part of you dies. Four generations, and he's asking why. Beats in a woman and man Tonight breaks Is still one more place In the heart of the heartland One of the hardest things about being in a funk is finding a way out of it. A midlife crisis complete with cake and candles is no exception. A month or so after my 40th birthday, Ted Broncato's sister Mary Sue headed to the South Pacific and was going to be gone for almost two months. As soon as she left, I wish I'd gone with her. Instead, I embarked on what I called a personal vision quest, and with apologies to Native Americans, mine was along the lines of Loudon Swain's, the fictional character in Terry Davis's novel, Vision Quest. In order to reach his goal, a goal of wrestling his toughest opponent, Loudon first needed to lose weight. And as someone who struggled with weight most of my life, one of the first things I wanted to do to hopefully change what I saw when I looked in the mirror was lose weight. I joined Weight Watchers, a program called Inner Circle. It involved nine meetings over eight weeks with a small group of hopeful and hopefully dedicated people sitting around a table discussing issues involving relationships with food and eating. And each week we would weigh in, literally and figuratively, as a way of measuring and seeing how we were doing. My quest began five weeks before McCoy's annual triathlon. That first of those weeks, I spent a few hours each day on my bike riding on what was still a mostly undiscovered Burke Gilman trail, and after losing five pounds, I added running to my daily routine. And as the weight kept coming off, I began running further and further until I was running from where I was living on the east side of Lake Union to the Ballard Bridge and back again seven to nine miles, depending on the route, farther than I'd ever run before. And a few days into my quest, I stood a few feet away from the singer and songwriter Nancy Griffith at a club in Ballard, her presence and performance were exactly what I needed to make me excited again to be a singer and a songwriter. And soon after that, I joined a songwriting group where I met Leslie, and together we wrote Heart of the Heartland. The third weekend in May, I joined friends for an annual gathering on the coast that included good food and singing songs around a beach fire. And that was a good connection. And when I got back, I impulsively shaved off a graying beard that I'd had for nearly 15 years and 
the face in the mirror, startling me. And on Sunday nights, I attended the Compliment services at St. Mark's on Capitol Hill. Those evenings included ageless music and timeless language that always inspired me. The word compliment comes from Latin, completorium, and means completion. It was a perfect way to finish a week and get ready for a new one. After eight weeks, I'd lost nearly 25 pounds and written over a dozen songs, and for the first time in nine years, I went into the studio alone with just my guitar and simply recorded those songs. I'd also filled a couple of blank books with thoughts and quotes and articles and words that rhyme, and for eight weeks, I'd paid attention and lived with intention, doing everything I could to shoo a midlife crisis away. The quest, a success. But not surprisingly, those days proved unsustainable. Slowly, the inspiration wore off and the weight went back on, but not, not before I'd found places inside myself I'd never been before and discovered things about myself that I'd never known before. Over the years, in lots of ways, I've, I've learned that life is really and metaphorically about breath and breathing. And during my quest, I discovered, at least figuratively, that I could hold my breath for weeks at a time and remain focused and energized. What I still had to learn was how to find that kind of focus and at the same time, keep breathing. His wife silhouetted through their front door screen A door she first gazed through when she turned 19 the tired eyes now close on this too painful scene Be a long time before they will know what it means At the end of June, I contacted Seattle's Broadway Performance Hall and I reserved that 295-seat theater for the last Saturday of October. My intention was to do a solo concert. I hadn't done one for more than nine years. And looking back, I realized when I returned from L.A. in 78, I didn't have the confidence or I was afraid to be on stage alone. And the performing I did was either with McCoy or as a member of the Brothers Four. And having turned 40 a few months earlier, a part of me must have known that if I didn't go out on stage alone soon, I might never do it again. And once I realized that's what I was going to do, I knew I needed to talk to McCoy about my plans. After years of needing him beside me, I was now going to tell him I needed him to step aside. And though he was starting his 11th year of teaching and he'd become a dad and continued to be reluctant about performing, it was going to be hard to tell him I wanted him in the audience and not on the stage. Sharing feelings and talking directly, these are things that I continue to learn and try to do better. When it came to communicating, the best McCoy and I could do in college was stage dramatic wrestling matches and then fight over who won. His quarterback quickness against my lineman's stubbornness. 
And then using the likes of Whalen and Willie and Newman and Redford as role models, we, we would often communicate through the years by gesture or verbal shorthand and cliche. And over time, we did begin to find each other and ourselves. And in 83, we talked seriously about drinking and singing. And this, this talk would be one more step. I told McCoy I needed to talk to him. He came by the house. We sat on opposite ends of the couch, and the words stumbled out about needing to stand alone for this next concert. And he acted as if he wasn't hurt and talked about how hard it would be to come to the performance and not be singing. And I acted like I wouldn't be hurt if he didn't come. And then I think we just sat there, and we nodded. We stood up. We shook hands. We walked together to the door. I stood at the threshold and watched as he walked to his Land Cruiser without turning around. When I got back inside, I knew that what had just happened was important. Although I wasn't sure if we might be burning some bridge without meaning to, or if after 20-something years, the best days, our best days, were behind us. It didn't occur to me that our best days would be in front of us. Auction is over, they are driven away. In the backseat of their oldest son's Chevrolet, photograph albums about all that is saved of a dream that is lost and found on each It's only in talking about it now that I realize how important that solo concert was for me, personally and professionally. Fortunately, my cousin Joanne realized it at the time and commemorated that moment by giving me a gold pocket watch that belonged to her, engraved with my name and the date, October 24, 1987. Since I was a kid, pocket watches have fascinated me. For years, I used a pocket watch instead of a wristwatch to keep track of time. Two pocket watches have a special place for me, though neither keeps time anymore. Both are significant symbols of other times, and their importance continues to grow with time. One watch is silver, and belonged to my dad's oldest brother, Peter, who died when he was 29 and my dad was 12. I never learned how my dad ended up with that watch or why he gave it to me when I was 12. A part of me is amazed that I didn't lose it during those first years. I remember carrying it to school and taking it out and simply looking at it. And when I was in high school, my first suit came with a vest 
and the vest had a pocket into which I often put that silver watch that was now connected to a silver chain. All those memories and experiences with that watch happened long before I learned that Uncle Peter died in a mental institution and my dad had been confined to one when I was born. And after learning those things, that watch became also a symbol of a secret. And now, these days, that watch is also part of a story connecting me even closer to those two amazing men. The other watch is a gold one, the one from my cousin. And for some reason, it's the only memento of that concert. I haven't found a picture, a recording, set list, or ticket stub from that show. Certain things about that night are easy to remember. The anxiety, wondering whether anybody would show up. And I also remember how I arranged three guitars and two banjos behind me on the stage and how I performed the classic guitar number with Cuerdos de la Alhambra for the first time in public. I don't remember taking a moment that night and giving that moment its due. Life doesn't come with instruction books or maps. There are no blueprints. It doesn't come with guarantees or warranties, although it is filled with possibilities. Moments that once seemed important begin to fade, while others that felt insignificant continue to grow. When I pick up the gold watch and look at the date engraved on its case, it's clear now how important that moment was and how I needed to get there, to that stage, in order to find the ones that followed. Tonight, grace is still one more place in the heart of the heart. The heart. Thanks for sharing one of those times in a life. At the next campfire, what a wonderful world. Hope to see you then. <laughs>